It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstide Network, the show where we look at the dollars and the sense of the sports media business industrial complex, which seems to be chugging along in the fall of 2003. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing just great. How are you doing? Oh, not bad, you know, settling in here uh, for uh, the fall. But Steve, you uh, you recently took a trip up to the uh, dreaded Northeast. How did that go? Yeah, I know. It was in the belly of the beast. Uh, you know, my conservative ways, uh, you know, don't sometimes don't fit up there, but it was a great trip, you know, spent a couple of days in Manhattan, which is uh, always fun. I, I wouldn't want to live there because uh, it's not really my speed to have that much crowd and congestion and, you know, stuff all over here. But, it, but just to visit certainly was a great time. Um, I wore proudly wore my Let's Go Brandon shirt around Manhattan for a day. Got a couple compliments, which surprised me greatly on it. Um, but um I, Manhattan was kind of like the all as it always was. You were right about uh, there's no crime, you know, to speak of. It was I didn't stray from you know the norm, uh, but certainly for those of you who are worried about, it, there's nothing to worry about it. You know, when you just kind of walk around, you know, the, the normal place and do your thing, it's fine. Saw Kenny Loggins in concert, which you know, so the very first thing he played the first song, which I didn't know at all. And he comes on and he says something to the effect of, I'm the king of yacht rock. And I know that's what some of you hear. So I'm going to play all my yacht rock songs tonight. And I just kind of cringe at that because I don't know any of these yacht rock songs. So uh, we went through pretty much the entire show without knowing a single song until the end when he finally played the theme to Caddyshack, which is a great song, and then Danger Zone and Footloose, of course. And then the the closing song, I didn't know either. But those three songs made it worthwhile to hear three great songs. So that was good. Saw West Point, which I'd never been to before. That was that was good. <laughs> um, so got thrown out of a hoity-toity uh, boat show in Rhode Island, which I thought was funny. You know, that that's like the – that's just a lifestyle I am never going to be a part of. Very, very, very wealthy people looking at multimillion-dollar yachts. And uh, was politely asked to leave because we did not pay to get in the boat show, and I was not willing to pay, so uh, got thrown out of that. But uh, very, very interesting. Went up through Maine, Kenny Bunkport, you know, saw the Bush compound, which is also how the other half lives. Uh, you can just see it kind of from the coast, from the distance, of course. So it was a good, it was a good trip. The United Airlines is no longer on my happy fun list, though. They trapped me in inter- in Intercontinental Airport for six hours, and. I got trapped in Boston Logan Airport for nine and a half hours, thanks to Yikes. United. Yeah, for no, re- no, no open and obvious explanation whatsoever. Um, and I wrote them a, I let, I sent them an electronic uh, comment, which they didn't even bother respond to. So I will never be flying United again. But other than that, good trip. Conservative, yeah, li- conservative survived through liberal New England. Uh I was curious, Steve, after our last recording. So I actually looked up the crime statistics, Nashville versus New York. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, let's have it. Uh, On violent and property crime rates, Nashville was running 10 to 15 points above New York. Nashville. Yeah, Nashville, Tennessee. 
Okay, and are you picking Nashville because you know I've spent time in Nashville? Well, I you 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 had mentioned how your mom, who I know lives in Nashville, was very yeah. worried about you moving to New yes. York. So I was like, I was like, I'm curious to look at the crime stats between these two cities. <laughs> well, Cor, to be fair to my mother, she doesn't go into Nashville every year. <laughs> okay, <laughs> she lives in the suburbs somewhere and refuses to go to Nashville itself because of the things you're saying. And so you'd have to actually compare her suburb to get an accurate comparison to, to her and, and to New York city. But I, nonetheless, I appreciate the, I appreciate the research. <laughs> <laughs> the funny, before we bore everyone, uh, the funny thing about the New York city area to not the five boroughs specifically, uh, is that the, some of the bedroom suburb communities are actually higher in crime rates than the city proper. Well, also, I mean, let's be fair. I mean, the city of New York is what six, seven, eight, nine, ten. How how big is the city? Uh, it's between itself? nine and ten million. It, okay, all, but not Manhattan. All five boroughs. So you'd have to have a hell of a lot of crime to get a really high crime rate. You know, with that. Yeah, many, yeah. I mean, they it, they they fat. This study factored for that, but yes. Oh, it does. Okay, yeah. I mean, because it's there's a relative comparison. You have to adjust to make it fair. Yes. Uh, you know. Um. But listen, like I told you, I, there was no point in time. Uh, ever felt unsafe. I didn't wander through, you know, the hood anywhere or anything, just pretty much stuck to stuck to the basics. But there was even walking around at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, there was no I, I never felt unsafe in any way in New York. Yeah. Well, okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll continue to switch places. So uh, I was doing my daily afternoon work constitutional where I walk, you know, I leave my little rental office in Brooklyn and do a, you know, 45 hour walk. And uh in my walk, I, I had the pleasure of, of help uh, sitting with and then helping a probably ODing junkie get into an ambulance. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now you helped him get in. Could was, well, I, were... I, I, he was he was seizuring and there's people around and his junkie buddy who you know I, I'm I'm pretty I speak junkie. You can fill in the rest of those blanks. Um, <laughs> So I was like, and there was these two women that were obviously like calling the 911 EMT or whatever. And I could tell that I walked by and my, my normal New York instinct was, yeah, keep, keep on walking. Right. You know? Yeah. My drone I was like, yeah, then I was like, oh, am I going to really like think, reflect later on the day that some guy might've died and I walked right by. So, and I saw these two women that were obviously trying to deal with the, you know, getting help and his junkie friend, I was like, that guy's sketch factory so i doubled back even just to be like another non-tweaked out male helping and so we we stood, stood around you know for 10 15 minutes finally the emt came um and the junkie guy was getting very weird with the woman who was calling so i was kind of glad i stayed but then you know basically the you know these kind of you know seen it all new york city uh ambulance guys get out they look at him. They check for a pulse. They look in his eyelids. They're like, okay, they, we know what to do. They didn't waste any time. They just got the stretcher out. We put him on the stretcher. They put him in the ambulance, and they're on his way. Didn't phase him <laughs> one single bit. <laughs> oh, not, not at all. You know, up to sixth one today, you know. so it was, <laughs> Well, you did do the right thing. You did the honorable thing, which I've expected nothing less from you, you know, and I'm glad you hung around to protect the woman against the nutbag, you know. Yeah, because so eventually when the EMT came, and she was trying to like, so, you know, so I, 
you know, he was seizuring. I called. I've been, you know, I called a second time. I've been here. And the uh, the tweaked out friend who obviously was probably as much concerned about whatever was in his pockets and whatever trouble he was going to get into, which is none. These EMT guys don't care. They're just going to take. Well, they're also you know, not law enforcement, you know. Right. Exactly. But, you know, if, if these this guy doesn't know. And so he was he like started to shoo the lady away and like and then she finally just gave up and was like left. The EMT was there at that point. So not much he could do. But yeah, you could tell that you could. I could just tell this guy was putting himself between him and help. That's why I came back. I got halfway down the block, and as just as I was at the cross the next street, I was like, "God darn it!" And I had an attack around. of conscience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I did not see anything like that during my time in New York or in Boston. By the way, also saw relative to sports, uh, did see Yankees Red Sox at Fenway. <laughs> Wow, I've never done that. that must yeah, that cool. was really cool. Aaron Judge hit a grand slam home run, you know, which is really cool. But I, I got to be honest. I was impressed with the Red Sox fans. I really was. They were um, very, very passionate about their team, but not in a negative way. It wasn't in like an unfriendly, I'm an evil, you know, New Englander kind of way, which is what, you know, you wouldn't maybe expect or like the stereotype would suggest. Um, Massholes is what they're called. Yeah, okay, but they weren't like that at all. <laughs> Even to the Yankees fans around him, it was all in good fun. I didn't know the they have all these songs they're singing stuff, you know, during the in the in between innings. Didn't know about any of that. So I was I was impressed uh, with the fan base. It was one of the more passionate sports fan bases I've ever seen, at least for uh, professional sports. So congrats to yeah, the I would Red love Sox to get to Fenway. I've never done that. That's Fenway was great. I mean, it was obviously very old and it was designed in a way you wouldn't design a stadium today. You know, the sidelines were off, the hallways were narrow, you know, low ceiling, low ceilings, all of that stuff, which would be different today. But it, I mean, it's a classic. What can you say? And it still prints money. So there's no need to change. Oh, it. I know. Like, why would you change it? I don't know why the Yankees redid Yankee stadium, to be honest. I mean, yeah, that was a little weird. Yeah, I had a friend of mine this summer who was friends with the organ player and he took him and his daughter uh, back behind the green monster and he was showing me some pictures that's pretty cool is there there truly is a guy back there just changing yeah changing the, the numbers yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a little league game <laughs> exactly <laughs> so All right. so kudos to the red sox and uh, fans i think uh yeah that sounds fun speaking of stadiums actually that was a un, that was an accidental transition Ooh, here it was <laughs> um into some latest news about where the washington commanders uh, might be playing football in five to six years from now, realistically. But we have some movement, uh, which is remarkable on a few fronts, uh, some movement on at least laying the groundwork for the possibility. And let me say that this is not this is just open. This is getting through gateways towards the possibility of returning the team that plays in Washington to Washington to the RFK site, which remarkably involves uh, bipartisan agreement in Congress. Yeah, they can't agree on anything else, but they can agree on transferring title to a stadium. Um, okay, so what has happened here is the House Oversight Committee, which, if you recall, was the same committee that investigated little Danny Snyder last year yeah. under Democratic control, is now under Republican control. So that investigation got thrown in the trash. That committee is the 12th man for Washington. Football. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it sort of is. They got rid of Snyder. They're trying to get a stadium. And it's bipartisan because these are Republicans that initiated this bill. But it's there was a bipartisan vote, a legitimate, honest bipartisan vote on it. So this is House Bill, House Resolution 4984, uh, which has now passed the Oversight Committee and heads to the House. So what this bill does 
let's get it right and get it accurate here. Number one, it transfers control of the entire RFK Memorial Stadium campus to the General Services Administration. Um, and now the, the campus is more than just a stadium. It's a stadium, the parking lots, and some of the surrounding green space and stuff. It's a lot bigger area than just a stadium. So that's number one. And then what it does is it requires a new lease. It requires the government to enter into a new lease with D.C. for that whole campus, uh, 99-year ground lease with extension. So, in effect, transferring quote-unquote permanent for all intents and purposes, control over to D.C. And then it authorizes a wide variety of uses, including stadium use, but not limited to stadium use. It's, uh, it authorizes, um, trying to flip to the right page here. I can't find it, but it authorizes um, commercial, residential use, you know, park space, basically anything within reason that D.C. would want to do with it would be allowed. So that is the bill. And so, yes, I think it is a, certainly a good first step, but there are many, many hurdles. Number one, there's no telling how long it'll take a bill to get through the House and then get through the Senate, uh, you know, and then signed by uh, Gramps, you know, if it gets through Congress, all of that. None of that is guaranteed. Sometimes these bills languish and sit around forever. So that's one thing. Um, we'll get to the other condition the other problems later but let's start with that and your comments on where we are so far uh, i think it's big I, I actually don't you know with the you know giant caveat that nothing is easy in congress but this seems to skate through and i actually don't see many headwinds past straight just procedural traffic jams so i think this probably gets through all of the federal government congress signed into bill blah 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 you know the just a bill you know saturday morning cartoon stuff um and gets gets through there seems to be no headwinds that are ideological uh and i think quite frankly a a vibrant team in washington is good for political business and i think you know people want to be seen at these things you know so i think there's also like i think everyone's got some political need to have the country's biggest and hear me out biggest entertainment offering i didn't just say sports right the country's biggest entertainment offering needs to be vibrant in the nation's capital and i think that drives some of this they want that platform they want that stage rewind even for the first let's call it 10 years of snyder and then obviously before that see and be seen at a, as a politico at a, a washington game was huge you know, so I think there's I think it's like one of those things where everyone agrees it's good for all. So I think it gets through Congress. I think where the skid marks are going to happen really uh, is is in local politics. That's that's where the yeah, I want to get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. So I, I the scene be seen part. I, I think you bring up a good point. And there's a real famous story that this the field where Washington played before RFK State wasn't it called Griffin Griffin Field, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that's okay. Right. There's a real famous story about um, December seventh, nineteen forty-one, which, if you know your basics of history, is Pearl Harbor Day. About how everybody started getting phone calls in this Griffith Field because they were it was a bunch of senior government people there who were, and it was a thing to see. And and that's famously when they got notified that the Japanese had attacked uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, and, and so I do think. 
that it's a really good thing for DC to have a stadium downtown because it is kind of a, you know, a hoi polloi, you know, all go to the stadium, you know, kind of scene be seen sort of event. Um, and so from that respect, I think it's good. Um, and yeah, I do think this bill was um, 30, the vote was 31 to nine with a cut like one or two abstentions or something. Um, now, the politics came into it and got shot down. Incidentally, there was a, a proposed amendment to this bill in which they were going to prohibit public funding of construction, for public construction funding on this property. That did not make it into the bill. So that was the political hook right there. And so that's it's leaving it to D.C. to do whatever it is they're going to do. Um, and, yeah, I do think it'll get through. I guess my point is it's not necessarily five minutes from now. No, uh, you know, there's no, nor should they make this a priority. It should be a normal course of business. And how long that takes, I mean, God knows, God knows, you know, how long. And then it's got to get through the administration, you know, administration such as it is. Um, so there's all that. But yeah, it seems like this is the first time I've really thought that this is a legitimate push. And this is the right thing to do for the government. You know, for, forget the Washington Stadium thing, you know, the wa Washington football team for now. I mean, the idea of the government transferring control to local control is, I think, a great thing. You have this land. You have a city. You have a mayor. She may be a horrible mayor, but you have a mayor. And so let the mayor control the land in the city is, as a general proposition, I think a good thing. The federal government doesn't need to be overseeing this when there's already a government who can do it. So I think all of that is a good thing. Now, so the next step is D.C. There's all kinds of problems with D.C., uh, there's a ton of them. One, their city council is a mess, uh, and the city council would have to act on anything. Two, financing is not something that just can be dreamed up. I really have serious doubts that the city of the District of Columbia can actually fund a two billion dollar stadium. But your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's that's where the fight will live. Right now, if you're sort of doing your back of the envelope. Uh, bean counting, you got about half the city council, a little less than half that probably support this. And there's obviously a lot of arm twisting and going on. The mayor's full on. Yeah, so you got the mayor and about half the city council is pro. Then you got the local residents who are pretty anti. So, you know, and then obviously anybody who represents those neighborhoods is probably on the no side of the city council or at least is going to uh, you know, face a lot of heat for if they come right. out for it. So I think you've got that's where the battle will happen. And it's like, you know, how much NIMBY not in my backyard is going to drive this. Um, that's where and then I agree on the public financing and all of my friends and family who reside in the district uh, say the same thing in terms of the how how is this going to get funded and it's not worth breaking this city over as much as they would love you know emotion big fans of the team would love to see a stadium rfk right there's not like a, all that stuff these people are pro but they say you know getting this thing funded if it's got to be you know at all or a part public funding is going to be a big uphill battle okay so stadium financing is directly in my area of expertise here <laughs> um Washington, D.C. funded Nash Nats Park, and they did that through a construction, like private construction loan. It was $350 million project, and I want to say I think it was $300 million, $280 million, something that was through a construction loan that they are still paying to this day. 
most cities don't have to do that. Most cities can, who are bigger and, uh, you know, like states who help fund it, they can fund us through like bond sales and tax credits and some things like that. You don't often see governments having to take construction loans. A lot of governments will refuse and won't take construction loans, you know, just as a matter of policy. They're not doing loans. I have a, I, I find it very, very hard to believe, very hard to believe that the city would do even a minimalist, even a minimalist stadium in today's economy is a billion dollars, rough in rough terms. I find it very hard to believe that this city of Washington, D.C. will take a billion dollar loan. And it's what's also clear is that the Harris Group expects somebody to fund the bulk of this. He's made that abundantly clear, and I don't blame him. It's also, by the way, what they did in uh, Philadelphia. So I, I think it, it the, and the city just doesn't have the tax base to, you know, impose, you, you know, a sports tax on hotels or something and expect to raise that kind of cash. I, I, I think that is the bigger challenge to me. Yeah. And D.C. is a, you know, a completely unique municipality for, you know, federal, local, all these things. And the majority, not majority, but a sig- this, I'll call it because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a significant amount of, you know, quote unquote, Washington, D.C.'s wealth resides in Southern Maryland and Northern Virginia. So, you know, it's not even like, it, it. you know, I understand that those people that live there think of themselves as one area and, you know, culturally and all that stuff, probably pretty much true. But you can't. But from a, from a tax, from a jurisdiction, you can't just take a sharpie and draw a circle around the DMV and make it its own entity. So no, they're not a lot of that McLean, tax base is in Northern Virginia and Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, like, you know, McLean is where all the rich people live. And that is in Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the residents of the District of Columbia themselves are not high income. A lot of them are low income people. And it's you just know, not that so, big either. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. it, even if it was a lot of rich people, it's still not that big. No. So it's a yeah. weird. It's a weird place. Now here's where. So would you here? I'll give you a couple things. Would you consider a move to RFK in your top three? If you're ranking them, would you have it in your top three now with this Congress news of where the next stadium is? Well, you, top three for what? You if mean you were going to rank your top three possibilities of where the next Commander Stadium is, would you now put the RFK site in your top three possibilities? Well, uh, no. I mean, I think the number one, I think, is still somewhere out near Ashburn. You know, and the state of Virginia seems far more willing to um, cooperate. Um, you know, they almost passed... You know, but they almost gave Snyder the money. And now that Harris is here, I would think they're going to come with a strong offer. I do note also that a couple of the Maryland representatives voted against this bill. Uh, you know, and that's uh. probably in the in, Yeah, so you're, yeah, you see it too. That's in their interests. And the mayor of D.C. did point that out to her credit. But I think Maryland is going to come through with some money too. And again, states have a lot bigger tax base. And a lot more options to do this. You know, they they can issue bonds. They can raise taxes from all over the state for it. Um, so, I, I I mean, if you want, I mean, you said top three. I mean, if you just are generically going Virginia, Maryland, D.C., sure, that's three. But if you're going, you know, Ashburn, you know, the Dulles area, somewhere south. Uh, you know, down along um, the Potomac or 
you know, Maryland kind of FedEx and Maryland sort of north, you know, towards Baltimore, I would put RFK at the bottom of all those. So that's just, that would be one, two, like three, four. Yeah, that would maybe be fifth for me. Yeah, I probably right now have, I actually think that the path of least resistance and a rebuild and return to the Landover FedEx, FedEx site is my number yeah. one. Just the easiest, all things considered. Um, and if and you already have Maryland's already doing 300 million of infrastructure improvements in the area. And they have, their, so, you know, maybe no direct money yet, but they know they're going to get some support and then probably would grow on top of that. And I think uh, the, the sort of Ashburn solution would be number two. I might cheat a little bit and put DC third, but I think you'd split between the RFK site and maybe the Anacostia waterfront or something like that that might emerge too. But it's undeniable so a year ago today, you know, a year ago today, you would say RFK was a pipe dream. But what you have seen, well, Josh Harris, obviously, but then the stuff we, then we said it was a pipe yeah. dream. <laughs> but you see the you see some of the barricades starting to be pulled away. Right. So the path is at least the path has gone from fairy dust to a path. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 And, and I, I'm going to go with Virginia being number one. I don't know. I don't think the team really wants to be at FedEx. There, there, it's um, it's a long way from from the practice facility. Um, they just seem to have a better relationship with Virginia. So I just something about I, I don't really have a hard evidence of it. Just some, just kind of screams Virginia to me for some reason. Sort of like new start, new everything. So that's my number one. But but yeah, I, like a year ago, I certainly hell. I mean. A month ago, I would have told you that there's no way. I did tell you there's no way this is going to happen. And this is this is not nonsense. This is legit. This is real. This is Congress taking specific and clear action to clear the way for this. Um, you mentioned the residents before. The local residents don't want a stadium there. They've made it clear over a number of years um, that they want something else. And, yeah, there's a lot of NIMBY with this. And uh, they have a voice, but they don't have the total voice and money kind of always wins out. So you may typically what you see in these situations, what I found is like the local city council representatives represent those people will make a half hearted objection, you know, cause they know what needs to happen. And so they're going to, they're going to stand up and argue for their constituents to a certain extent, but they only go so far cause they know what they have to do. So I would guess that the city will try to do this, but I do not think they'll succeed. Yeah, I, I, who knows what will happen, but I think that that's a smart bet. Um, it's interesting. I, think, Here's I the, didn't mean to interrupt you, but I do think you also said one more thing before I forget. Having this a stadium in D.C. that's like a CNBC kind of thing, I think, is uh, a, would be a very good thing, and that's definitely what everybody wants. So, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. No problem. Um, I think if we see the reality of an RFK stadium rebuild. One thing I would watch for is that I think it would need to involve Josh Harris selling the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. I think because, to your point, he's going to have to come to the table with more funds to get an RFK stadium built. Um, the Golden State Warriors just apparently got um, got uh, value... Uh, evaluated at seven billion so you know so if he's already he's actually fighting with 
Philadelphia now because he wants to move the 76ers away from that like sports complex where they have all their sports teams in one area of the city back into downtown. Uh, and that's starting to turn ugly if anyone's kind of paying attention to that. I could see him saying, I'm all in on on Washington. I'm going to have to come to the table for more money if I want it in RFK. I think any move to RFK probably goes hand in glove with him getting rid of the 76ers um, or the Devils. It's not nearly as as valuable or as a big a problem, and he's not fighting with New Jersey. I think I'd watch for that. Um, yeah, part of what's bothered me about this is he's got now more. He and his business partners have more than four billion dollars of debt on the team. Then they have debt on the 76ers. Also, is he really going to take on between one and two billion dollars more of debt for yet another project? At some point, Not you got to make holdings. Yeah, you got to make some money. He's just over leveraged. He's really he was really over leveraged to buy the Washington team. But the I mean the NFL said it, but they you, you know they but they uh, let him off the hook because they were so desperate to get rid of uh, little Danny. Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean if I were Advising him, I would advise him to certainly sell probably the 76ers. He clears a couple billion dollars in cash after, you know, in net and all that. Much better position. Put some of that towards the stadium, you know. But even though, here's the thing. Even if he puts a billion dollars of, he and his business partners put a million, a billion dollars towards the stadium, the city would still have to come up with another billion, you know, or at least another half yeah. a million. That's more still way more than they paid for Nats Park that they're still paying for today. So I, I, unless he comes up with a lot more than that, maybe he needs to go buy lottery tickets or something, you know, to get the money. I don't know. I, I still think it's unlikely just because it's an enormous cost for a city that doesn't have it. The one thing I'd say about Washington, D.C. is, you know, and there's our, there, there's more negative stories this way than positive in terms of what stadiums do for downtown development. But... Washington, D.C. is actually a success story for that with both the Verizon Center and Nationals Park. Those things have been huge civic uplift. Those stadiums have brought business and revitalized the city. So, you know, in some ways, the the two non-football D.C. sports arenas are in your positive ledger for what a stadium can do in an urban environment. Yeah, some of them work, some of them don't. It just depends on where you build it, what you do around with the area around the stadium. <laughs> you know, if you just put up just a stadium and do no other development around it, it's not going to do much. You know, like I live in Houston, uh, Reliant, you know, Reliant Stadium, where it's now NRG Stadium, is out off of the the loop around the city, but they didn't. There's no development around it whatsoever, so it's not really revitalized anything. People come in for a game and then they leave, you know, we're in what you're talking about. There's bars, there's restaurants, there's, there's a development around it. That's like, that's what, um, Stan Kroenke did with SoFi in Los Angeles, built an entire, and he did this all himself, by the way, with no aid from anybody, it's totally privately owned a ton of mixed use development around it. That is how you revitalize something. So what you're referring to is that is what they've done with Nats Park and the Verizon Center, uh, you know, and so if they were willing to do that in D.C., yeah, because that area could use it, but one, um, they are going to have to have some green space at that area. I believe this bill says something about must have some green space. Yeah, 
uh, and and two, that's a lot of money that Josh Harris doesn't have. And also, he's not really a real estate developer. Sam Kroenke is a real estate developer. He knows how to do that. Josh Harris is not. So I, I just think it's all of that is unlikely. Whereas if you go out to Virginia, somewhere out near Dulles, there's plenty of ways to get that done out there. That, you know, that just aren't don't exist in D.C. So I still think it's very unlikely. Speaking of SoFi, I just noticed the other day that you can tell that that stadium was built to look good on television. Like you could like the way it designed everything broadcasts exceptionally well. It's the best stadium to watch a game on TV and actually like you can actually enjoy the stadium. You can tell it was designed for camera angles. Well, it was smart. I mean, again, Dan Kroenke does this for a living. He's not just some butthead who, you know, inherited daddy's money. And uh, and he's not that. He's a real estate developer, highly, highly successful real estate developer. He knows exactly what he's doing. I think you're exactly right. I think SoFi is probably the preeminent stadium in the the league. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that and what's the Allegiance Park in uh, um, Vegas? Those two, you know. But you're right; it looks good on TV. It, it is designed with a plan in mind. And in DC, you'd have to have that same level of thought and skill put into it. And one, I don't know if Harris has it. Two, you can't just do that and nuke the entire area because you're not allowed to. Um, and three, somebody's got to pay for it. Stan Kroenke has billions galore that josh harris did not josh harris has billions of debt and the other thing to look for if the stadium returns to dc rfk or not site or not uh mitch rails will be huge in in making sure that that yeah I mean, he's the secret yeah. weapon there yeah that's right i think that's why he's here probably and certainly it would be up to him i think in large part but at the end of the day again you can have all the expertise in the world but nobody wants six billion dollars in debt have more than that, once you count the 76ers and the Devils. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, well, st- we'll sort of, so stick at least in the giant universe of the NFL, although radically different type of story. And we're going to check in on this uh, Jim Trotter lawsuit against uh, the NFL. Um, I think probably because, you know, from his firing, he's basically claiming, this is a not legalese, but he's basically claiming that his critical reporting of racial hiring or whatever racial issues within the NFL led to his ouster as a reporter on the NFL network. He now works for the athletic. Um, And so he's basically suing the NFL about that issue. Steve will clean up my mess, but that's basically what's happening. Yeah. So uh, first of all, if you want to read about this, there's a bunch of stories on it, but where we were reading was from bleacher report. Jim Trotter files racial discrimination lawsuit against NFL NFL network. Over network by over exit by Joseph Zucker dated September 12th, 2023. And yeah, so he's filed a racial discrimination lawsuit. Now it's important to note number one, there's multiple different types of employment. One is at will employee, that means you work at the pleasure of the business, there's not a contract. Um, and then there's a contract employee, which is what charters. Now, an at will employee can be fired for any legal reason, basically. You know, they don't. They think you uh, talk too much. They can fire you, and that's fine. Um, there's a lot more restrictions on termination of an employee that's under contract. But in neither case can they is it legal in any state or under federal law to discriminate on the basis of race in employment decisions. And so that is what 
Trotter's alleging, and specifically what he's alleging, is that, again, this is in the story, he alleges that he was, quote, let go due to his criticism of the league's lack of diversity. And so in this story, what they're saying is he asked a number of people in conjunction with his reporting investigation about hiring of minorities, specifically African-Americans, within the NFL front office, uh, in the NFL ownership, in NFL media, and he got blown off, essentially. And and he got, he alleges he had some particularly snotty comments from Jerry Jones, uh, among others, and um, I'm trying to find the other one. The Bills owner, Terry Pagula, uh, Pagula, rather, made a bunch of, according to the petition, a bunch of racist, racist responses to his questions. So he's alleging that because he raised the issue of um, diversity in hiring, the NFL terminated him. And so this is what he's alleging here is that this is a racial discrimination suit because he brought it up. So that's the, that's whether or not he can prove any of this, of course, is a whole nother story. Um, but that is a point. And he's not raising anything new. This is stuff that's come up many, many, many times. Um, I suspect that the NFL will say something like, or not the, uh, all the all of the defendants, NFL NFL Network, will say, no, we didn't discriminate against him. We just we moved on. We didn't think his reporting was good enough. He wasn't getting ratings. Something like that. It's good. They're going to be the response, and he's going to have to prove this, and that's been historically very hard to do. Yeah, I also don't see this ever getting to a courtroom. Um, so this will get settled. There's just enough dirt. There's too much dirty laundry that they don't want out right so like that's probably and you can are and that's the drip drip of jerry jones and pagula etc cetera, etc cetera. they don't want this stuff you know good the nfl has versions of this whether it's you know the the steve uh steve wilkes no it's not steve wilkes it's um what's the guy who's got the the coach whatever they've got this issue they've got the gruden email like so there's a bunch of this stuff that just floats around in the ether regularly that the nfl just obviously wants to close as many doors i think they'll eventually pay him off he does have some interesting bits of evidence about um some uh documented conversations between him and the and the hr and management around we love you we're going to come back to your contract and then suddenly that happened and things changed so whatever That'll all get settled. He's going to get paid, yada, yada. I think, and this goes for, this goes to Trotter as well. This is the issue with league or team-owned media, which we are seeing a stampede towards. Uh, just if you want to stay in the DMV, you know, um, you know, with that new whatever monument sports network, what's uh, what's the Le- Le- Leonsis's new network? We're seeing that, you know, Major League Baseball is going to move fat, you know, with the death of the regional sports networks is going to move fast on this. But here's the cautionary tale. You can't report on yourself honestly. And the more and this goes for Trotter, too. He should have kind of a you are a company. You are not a journalist at that point. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what your contract says. I don't care what helps you sleep at night. If you are a reporter owned by the league or team, you are PR. Okay, this is called 
having a conflict of interest. Yeah, it does. That's not how reporting works at its basic level. And we see too much of this, whether you want to talk Bezos in the post, whether you want to talk the league and team ownership of media. We're seeing this. But and you're going to see stories like this pop up all the time because I don't there's a, a, a clear philosophical difference between what these things do. And if you are working for the NFL network and this goes for the rich eisens of the world, I'm sure they all got big paydays and they do a good job. But you are PR. You are not you're not Don Vanetta, right? You're not you're not independent. You're not journalists. You are forwarding a vertically integrated messaging for the central office headquarters at the penthouse suite at the corporate tower. Well, that's you right. Are calm. That's why the founding fathers of the country recognized this and knew this. That's why there's the First Amendment. That's why there's freedom of speech to to give people and the media and the press the express right to report fairly and honestly and accurately about what's going on. And I think you're exactly right in saying that Jim Trotter worked for the NFL Network. The NFL Network, no matter how you spin it, no matter what you say, is the PR wing of the NFL. They're never going to be a hundred percent free to report whatever they want. And so, yeah, I mean, you're right in that respect. And and it was in even uh, like Snyder, Dan Snyder, here in Washington, owned uh, what was it, Red, Red Zone Zebra. Media? Red, there we go, Red <laughs> Zebra. You know, where he controlled the radio broadcast, and whatnot. And by the way, just so people don't think we're dodging in here, um, I'm going to read the quotes here okay so this is what trot this is from trotter's petition so this is what trotter alleging jerry jones told him quote if blacks feel some kind of way they should buy their own team and hire who they want to hire unquote that was from jerry jones and then terry pagula pagula is it pagula is that how you pronounce it yeah here's pagula's alleged quote from the petition Quote, if the black players don't like it here, they should go back to Africa and see how bad it is, unquote. And certainly both of those are awful. I think Bagulas is probably worse, uh, you know, but be that as it may. So he's alleging um, some negative attitudes, which I don't think should surprise very many people, you know, if true. Uh, but you make a good point. But there's nothing they can do to do about it, okay? I mean, nothing's going to change. NFL Network isn't going anywhere. And even if they're not in the NFL Network, ESPN is beholden to the NFL. Right. There's only one or two steps away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only a handful of people willing to say the truth. Like, you may disagree with um, um, Clay Travis and outkick the coverage, but they have been outspoken. You know, and and there there's a handful of people like that. Again, you may not like you may like him or not. He's political, but that's not my point. There's a handful of people who want to speak out, but most of them are just it's all a big machine, and they are beholden to the NFL. And so that's we're seeing this here. But in terms of the actual legal, um, the legal case, I think it's very uh, very unlikely he's going to be able to prove any of this stuff. Um, and I think it's I think you're right in that it's going to go to mediation. There's a hundred percent chance it's going to go to mediation. Almost every case goes to mediation anyway. And this is the type of thing that the NFL does not want to fight about. They don't want Jerry Jones on the stand, you know, <laughs> and, and one, he's not going to be good on the stand. He's going to say God knows what. And two, they just don't want him on sand. So they're going to settle and they'll pay off Trotter. And I think this will go away. 
um, probably. he's. It'll be enough for him to say, I made my point by filing a lawsuit and bringing this to the attention of the masses, and that'll be enough for, for him to declare victory. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, but it's a cautionary tale when you work when you work for these networks. You're reporting their their talking points. I mean, please and understand that. And as a viewer and a consumer of this stuff, you also have to you know you have to have some media literacy here too. You know, like whether it's the Ringer or Outkick, you know, look for ones that ha- that own their own thing, right? Like yeah. that have some level of independence. The Athletic, you know. So now I'm not saying you got to turn off the NFL Network or Masson no. or. But, but understand what you had to understand what you're getting. You know, have some literacy about the information that's coming in into your TV or radio or internet machine. You know, it's yeah. going, con, it's it's controlled messaging. Yeah, there's very very few who aren't a part of that system. Now, let me ask you this: What do you think about Trotter's allegations themselves? Uh, you know, and it, it comes back to a little bit of a philosophical question, I think, because I think a, a lot of people. F- we'll take the view that if like an organization needs to always mirror society, uh, you know, and that's kind of sort of the fundamental, one of the fundamental tenets of this new diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, um, push that's going on right now. Um, and so I think what Trotter's basically saying is the league is however, whatever percentage of black players, I'll throw 75% out. I don't know what the number is, but something like that. So he's basically saying the players are this percentage African-American. And so it's not it's discriminatory to think that the senior levels of the league and of of the media and of management are not also. I've never subscribed to the thought that every organization needs to mirror society necessarily. Um, And so I think that's as a philosophical point, I strongly disagree with that. And I strongly disagree with that portion of DEI. But that having been said, certainly I think the NFL, especially in ownership, there's kind of an old man, old white boy sort of club that goes on, you know, because they're the ones who are wealthy. Uh, you know, the, the, I said that poorly. The owners happen to all be white. And I think people tend to hire and deal with people they're used to. And in that respect, Trotter's probably not wrong in that limited respect. Yeah, I think that I think this is an in, interesting one because you have a well. One, he's not he's claiming he was fired for asking the question, not having the but opinion. I'm talking so, about the larger point yeah, you're bringing up, right? Um, football is interesting. Sports, maybe general, but we're talking about football here, and that you you you've got you know the 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 you know just an insane amount of money that's made on the backs of a, you know so like. You would you would like to think you have some kind of I'll just call it equity or some kind of movement towards that the mechanics of the entire business aren't so stark. And then it's not that hard to go into a lot of metaphors that a lot of people would be uncomfortable with, which is plantation metaphors, rich white owners up in the big house and the labor being done on the field. So like you just open yourself up to a lot of that. So if these billions and billions and trillions and trillions are made on the backs of majority black labor, that starts to get a little sticky. And we know it's sticky because we know that the NF at the league office level, the NFL would at least from a image standpoint at, at the very baseline, like to see some of these things change, right? Because just so that they inoculate themselves against this, not because of any grand, uh, you know, political statement, because 
they would, you know, that's why you'll, you know, that's why they love the Magic Johnsons of the world, even at a whatever 5% owner in Washington. And why you'll see this because they want, and that's why they did the Jay Z deal, so on and so forth. So, because they want, they want shields against this because they understand the perception problem. And that's why they got persnickety when their own, uh, you know, controlled journalists asked those questions. Yeah. Um, first of all, Jay Z has been nothing but awful. In terms of his halftime shows, they're just atrocious. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I strongly disagree with the plantation analogy. And that's what that idiot Colin Kaepernick brought up. He's the one who kind of started that. But these players are being paid millions of dollars. They're one percenters, 0.01 percenters themselves. And so um, while your basic point of saying the owners are white and the labor is black is true, this is not any in any case analogous because they're making more than nearly everyone in society, uh, you know. So it's it's the rich and then the the very 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 rich. So I don't like the plantation analogy at all. Um, you can like it or not like it, but that's where people are going to go. Yeah, you know, but it's that, inaccurate. That, it's not accurate. That's my point. This is not like not, somebody making con- ten bucks an in hour. In context, you're talking about millionaires versus billionaires and so if the percentage is if you don't have some kind of fluidity between you know now to the nfl's credit to some degree you i actually think you've seen a decent amount of movement on football gms coaches you know so that you i think you know if, if, if i'm on the if i'm in the nfl front office i'm starting to talk more and more loudly about that even though they got well, their yeah, issues there so so yeah, so fair enough to say it's logical to think that people who know how to play football at the NFL level can also evaluate and coach players, NFL players, right? So that makes sense. And so, uh, you know, your star quarterback probably has a good sense of film and probably has a good sense of who's better and who's not. And so the idea of having more former players in coaching and Team operations positions make sense, but I don't necessarily think that translates to the business side at all. Most athletes, regardless of race, if you're a professional athlete, you haven't spent a heck of a lot of time studying, learning, and being a business person. Or, you know, and so I don't know if that necessarily translates. What it does translate to is what you said, which is the football operations part and the coaching part. Yes, that makes sense, but I don't necessarily think the front office of the league needs to mirror the exact racial component, you know, racial breakdown of the, of the, of the league or of the, the players, you know, it's two different skill sets entirely. We'll see. I, I, you know, whether you or I like the analogy, it's, you know, it's the one that it, it, it you know, it's a perception versus reality. Issue. I just think so it's an it's totally inaccurate. I think it's totally inaccurate perception. Yeah, we can disagree. Accuracy doesn't. I just don't think accuracy matters much. That's my point. Well, that's just sad to say. I think we've, if nothing else, we've learned over the past couple of years that accuracy matters little. <laughs> right. So yeah. if if it sticks, the name to watch, uh, if you want to see where this goes in terms of the NFL uh, league headquarters trying to solve some of these problems, is Troy Vincent. Yeah, that's watch that cool. name. Troy Vincent is a former player who is now, I forget his title, but he's seems to be one of the head operations guys at the NFL front office. He oversees discipline. That's one. Of the, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's his job, but that's on his you know, remit. 
He's going to have a like a title, like senior vice president for something. That's yeah. Detroit track Vincent. Troy Vincent's career on this. Yeah, one. there you go. Um, all right. So we are now. Well, by the time you listen to it, we'll probably maybe in the last fumes of week three of the NFL. Um, and we've got some interesting numbers. No, nothing shocking in terms. Of, you know, I'm not coming here to say football seems to be down. Um, but some interesting numbers and some interesting movements on a few fronts. Um, the number one thing, because we've been tracking this now going on year two, because it's year two of existence, is kind of some eye-popping numbers for Amazon's Thursday night football offering, which basically in just a little over a year has placed their Thursday night broadcast right in the mix for where the NFL needs it to be competing with quote unquote television. Uh, one, and we, we got these from sports business journal, which, you know, we need to probably just pony up and get a subscription to. It's not cheap, Chris. <laughs> um, we can talk but, about that off the air. <laughs> so we, 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 we have limited details because we won't, we read to the, the break, but it did say one thing that I was able to glean was that Thursday's absolute putrid, disgusting, gross, I'm embarrassed that I watched the entire thing, game of the Giants 49ers that's just past Thursday, would place it as the 40th most watched thing on whatever we're calling television. But basically it means it's elbowed its room, its way into comparable numbers to broadcast television. Yeah, and if you want to read this and you have the ability to access more than a paragraph of this, it was it's called Prime Videos TNF audiences show NFL fans are adapting to streaming by Austin Carp. Again, we didn't couldn't read very much of it because we don't subscribe. But yeah, so for those of you who thought that the move to Amazon would cost the NFL an audience share, you are apparently totally wrong. Um, this is bigger than Thursday Night Football has been on regular broadcast television. You know, or on the NFL network. And the fact that it wasn't even a very good game. Now, it is two New York teams. Well, no, no. You know, San Francisco, well, New York. Northern California, New York. Sorry, Same thing. Two big what markets. I say? Yeah, yeah. Two huge markets. Huge markets, yeah. Yeah, 49ers. I mean, so um, that helps. But I'm just stunned, truly, that this... Amazon Prime broadcast is the 40th biggest thing on quote unquote broadcast television this year. That is mind boggling to me. And that just shows, I think it goes to show the reach of Amazon. I was skeptical. I think we were skeptical when this deal was announced. And we, I think I thought at least that the ratings would be down, that it would still make money, but it would be down. That's not the case. This has gone on without a hitch. In fact, it's been more successful. Um, I really did not expect this. I think what I think probably the hidden reason to some degree is just how much penetration Amazon Prime houses in people's households, regardless of football, just because there's so many people. And, and we're talking about the shipping. And, you know, you know, the, and it's actually a bad deal. You know, you go do the numbers. I, yeah, I have it. So I'm a hypocrite. It but but I just think that. You'd want to look at the penetration of Amazon Prime, and then that, and then that's kind of comparable to how many, not yet quite to this level, but you could start to make similar comparisons to the amount of integration that Amazon Prime has in people's households to like television in the 70s and 80s, I'm television sets. 
And, you know, it's just it's already there in so many of these households in a different way than like HBO or Netflix. Right. Because because it's an all encompassing thing. I need it for my you know, I can get diapers cheaper and they, I can I can use my Alexa. It's so integrated into households that putting NFL then through those pipes is a lot easier, actually, than selling signing up for a new subscription service because they are so much more than just a media subscription service. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a while ago, one of my kids said, Hey, I need your Amazon prime login information. (laughs) And I said, I don't have, I don't have it. I'm not a subscriber. And he was like flabbergasted that I was not a subscriber to Amazon prime. I think I'm the only one, you know, out there probably. Um, because I don't subscribe to it, but you make a good point. As a me, as my weirdness aside, um, I, I you know at some point some university is going to have to do a marketing class, like a market, like a strategic marketing class on Amazon to show uh, is there has there ever been a more effective long term marketing strategy than Amazon? It started. If you, we do a rewind, what, 20 years ago, however long it's been, it was just selling books online. That's where it started. And it's become like this all-encompassing monstrosity that truthfully probably needs to be broken up you know, by the SEC. Um, it's probably a monopoly at this point. Um, the growth of this company has just been unbelievable. And they are taking over entertainment. They, they have slowly taken up – think about this. It was books first. Which they still control. Yes. (laughs) And then it became other products. Then it became groceries. Then it became, um, you know, new ways of of delivery. And then it became, we're taking over the postal service, which they have on Sundays. And now they're recently taking over entertainment. This company has gone from zero to controlling, like, every aspect of, of commercial life. It you're not even mentioning that they're probably the back the end on 75% of websites you click on. Yeah, you're right. I should have mentioned that before because for those of you who don't understand, Amazon controls. If you want to sign up and get a website, we didn't – through well, Hogside's not through this, but um, they control like 75% of the internet. It, it is unbelievable where they started and where they ended. And entertainment is just the next thing. And so I do think you have a good point in saying that – Every non-Steve Thomas household has Amazon Prime. And so it's not that much of a leap to just sign up for, uh, you know, whatever. Is it another package? Did you have to buy NFL Packers or it just comes with Amazon? No, it comes with it. Oh, there you go. And so you don't even have to sign up for anything. And so it's just already there. Everybody but Steve Thomas has it. And, the, yeah, it's I, I, I would really love to, like, sit through, like, the Stanford – university mba class that studies amazon and every new tv you buy now has not does it has amazon built into the television it's got a amazon button on the remote control i'm looking at mine right now and i'm looking at that's in my home office and there's a prime video button on this remote. yeah right so it's it's actually it's, it's, it's actually in some ways getting easier than cable from the hookup to the pavement, to the just access. I don't even need to find the channel. No. You just press Prime Video at the appropriate time on Thursday night, and boom, and the it's game on. Pop right up. Yep. And you can say start from the beginning if you're 45 minutes late. You know. <laughs> do, you, do you think? Um, do you think Congress is going to break up Amazon? 
I think eventually, yeah. I mean, I the the. the Oh, the governor. I shouldn't have said Congress, you know, but right, maybe the, the, the SEC. The SEC uh, they yeah. should a. They should b. They might c. I don't know if there's the. I don't Political know if they will. have the will slash muscle to take on a behemoth like that. Yeah, I agree with all through all those things. You and I are in perfect agreement. They should. You can't have a company control all of marketing and all of the internet and entertainment. That's not good. So, if you wanted to break it up, what you could say is. The internet part needs to be a separate business. And then the entertainment wing is another one. And then you just have leave the core online marketing stuff is another one. Uh, that would probably make the most sense. One interesting little data point about how much monopolistic they are. One of the reasons that helped Amazon from a retailer standpoint do its march to dominance was that they allowed independent sellers, which just meant that, you know, it became a market pace for mom and pops for small businesses, blah, blah, blah. They have that they have just strangled that. So they invited all those folks in, which just, you know, a hundred X, a thousand X the the stuff you could buy on Amazon, right? And then they but then they slowly made it harder and harder and harder and more expensive and more restrictive. And so that's an you so there's so many data points about how they're monopolistic um, I, funny, you'll like this because you, you'll like to laugh at my, uh, you know, overly conscious do-gooder liberal Northeast friends. But I had a friend recently who said, I actually went into Walmart the other day. And I, my first reaction was like, ew, really? And he was like, well, <laughs> he, was like, he was like, well, I figured if my – pick my poison, buying it on Amazon or walking into Walmart and buying it. Buying it at the physical Walmart felt like the more consciously responsible choice than buying it from Amazon. <laughs> you liberals, you liberals. The weird thing is, I am in political beliefs a true classic conservative. I have made that same choice as your liberal Northeast friend. I don't like online shopping, I don't want to do that if I shop Walmart regularly, but um, I would always regularly do that. But, but. Walmart has strangled local retailers in the same exact way. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And so I think what your friend is referring to, it's like, what's the lesser of two liberal yes. evils, which is, well, this one, because at least it's a physical store, so I'm going to patronize that, I guess, what they're saying. But, but yeah, so Amazon, it's almost like the witch inviting the child into the lair and then casting a spell on it when they get there. I mean, that's what they did to, they did to retailers. Come sell your stuff on Amazon, and oh, by the way, we're going to make it so expensive that now you're going to go out of business. And then we're going to sell our stuff, which, you know, in competition to yours. Only, only we're, you know, we're going to market it directly, and we're going to make it cheaper. So congratulations, you know, you played yourself. I mean, that, and then a buy-in option to be listed as a prime, right? So like, yeah. then the, only the top echelon of those independent sellers who can pay the premiums to to show up in prime searches. I mean, they. I mean, yes, it's sir. not just. It's it's not a billy club. It's a scalpel where yeah. they're slicing and slicing and slicing. Because the vast majority of people make nothing on Amazon, you know, or relatively little. And so, will the government break it up someday? They probably should. I am a person who does not like government intervention in general, but you cannot have this level of economic dominance. And the reason is, if it stifles competition. Capitalism works because you have competition and then inferior products and high-priced high products and inefficient systems will die because 
people will not support them. But if you have somebody that controls everything, capitalism disappears. And so that's the point. And who was it that got broken? AT&T got broken up by the federal government in the 70s. Yeah, the baby bells and all that. Yeah, because they had so much dominance over the communications market that it had to go. And it actually has been good for, you know, for the market because there's a billion different communications companies now. So that is going to happen, Amazon, someday, I think. Probably after Bezos is dead. Um, so yeah. I get, okay, out there, if you want a good book title about this subject, you, you do Jeff, Jeff Bezos, The Visible Hand, not for you economic nerds. We're so going to have to do, we're going to have to do Not Invisible club. Hand, The Visible Hand. Because we've got that other gambling book we need to read. And then yeah, we right. got it's this one. Literary. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody, call me up and I'll license you the name. Jeff Bezos, the visible hand. The visible, the visible hand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. All right. So, oh, a couple other interesting t- sports on TV. We a couple other little mini things. One, ABC has announced that they are going to, and I think it'll end up being more. But they've announced that they'll be putting ten. ESPN Monday Night Football game simulcasts on ABC. You could experience that this weekend, but I want to talk uh, this past Monday already. Um, now, this isn't, I think this is a smart move anyway. They should never have not been doing this. However, the hashtag reason. Writers strike, hashtag yeah, we need content. They have nothing to put on TV. You'll also notice that Survivor is suddenly going to 90 minute episodes <laughs> this season. So that's another little doubt. The unwritten, the show they don't have to write. <laughs> we we have reality television because of the last writer strike. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, there's going to be so more yeah, talent so, shows and more uh, reality shows. <laughs> exactly. So they're doing a very smart thing, which is just what the heck, just simulcast it on ABC. But it also begs to question why they ever cordoned off the game on ESPN to begin with. Like I, they, they're tra- are trying to Disney's does want ESPN's ratings to go up. And if you have content that can be opposite programming on 18 and on ABC, the idea would, you're going to get all forms of the market watching the Disney empire. I just think nowadays there's that, that I understand that that might've made sense five to 10 years ago when they, but now when things are so fluid that no one even necessarily understands when they're going between these things, I think you're better off just putting your best thing on all platforms and then you can sell different ads. Look at what Peacock is doing. Um, I had something wrong. It was my fault. I discovered later. But for some reason, my television, when I was watching uh, Sunday Night Football, kept being broadcast in Spanish. I had the button clicked. I didn't mean to. And I didn't have time for it. I was like, why is this? So you know what? I didn't sit there and try to fight with my television to understand why I was getting uh, Spanish overdubs. You know what I did? I one clicked over to Peacock. There you go. You know, and so NBC is already doing this. They'll say, we've got an NBA game, or sorry, we got an NFL game you want to watch. You can, we don't give a crap where you watch it, and we're going to sell different level of advertising on these places. Just watch it. That's not a bad thought. And, and I think that's what ABC, Disney, whatever, is going to learn here. And I wouldn't be surprised if post-writer strike, post-regular television coming back, you don't see more and more games starting to show up on ABC. Well, I mean, at a basic level, if you can pull good ratings on both networks, why wouldn't you do it? Did you watch any, did you engage at all with this double header nonsense, which now we got to put up with multiple weeks? Mm, I did not. This is a stupid, I don't understand why they think this is, remember a couple years ago, they used to do the opening Monday night and they used to have a double header, a true double header, where you'd put a West Coast game on, and so that would start at 10 or whatever. Now they do this thing, and it's going to happen, I think, the next – I think it's happening four or five times through the year and in the next two Monday nights. So you get a game that kicks off at, like, 7.15, and then another game that kicks off at, like, 
8.30 or whatever. What? Why are you... Div- Peep, the whole point of primetime games is singular viewing, and it means you're going to have worse games. So we, we all just sit through, uh, what was it, Panthers-Saints, which was just a god-awful game. I, this doubleheader idea is dumb. Yeah, and we're out of time here. We need to sign off. But um, also, I think the NFL forgets sometimes that less is more. Uh, you know, it's it, what, what's unique about the NFL, and I think it, why it's so popular in part, is the excitement of the buildup to, to Sunday. There's talk, there's debate all week long, and the more games you put on during the week, the less special and less unique of an experience it feels like. So if you have a bunch of games on Monday, then you have them on Sunday, and then like during when the college football's off, and then you have Saturday and Thursday, and and it becomes it dilutes the good. It, it's like um, I think I used this analogy before. If you give somebody chocolate cake for dinner every night. It's fun for a while, and then it's just unhealthy after that. <laughs> and then it ceases to be fun. So to save it for a special time is better. We're going to have a good dessert tonight because you kids have been good. So we're going to have this great cake. That's the same as football. If you save more of it for the special day, for its you own Sunday, don't blow it. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the joy of these primetime games is that they're singular. Yeah, you only have to exactly. watch one. You just, if you're nerds like like us and like, you know, I spent all Sunday watching six screens or whatever. Monday night, I want to take a breath and watch one game. Talk to other that's people exactly about right. one game. Yeah, that's right. <sighs> it's dumb. Um, well, Steve, things might, must be getting a, a little bit more fun on, on the hog side of late. Well, of course. I mean, of course, we predicted 2-0. and oh. uh, You know, it, we, it, this is where it gets hard, though. You know, see, they, they put, Washington played two bad teams one of them on the road one of them home and now it's for real so this is the week that you'll see if washington is for real or not this week against buffalo and by the time you listen to this you'll know whether it is or not so yeah so we have um our you know our show our uh, hogside podcast which we release every thursday and we have all of our regular written content so please check it out my quick take is that they could be two and two or sorry they could be yes two and two through the first four, which is probable, and you still could be excited at them being a decent team. Because that's depends how quality on, these next two opponents are. Depends on how these games go. Yes, right. If they get their ass banked, one thing. But if they right. if they compete in these two games, two and two is just Pretty as good decent. vibes. Yep, I agree. All right. Well, we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>